Hello, Internet, and welcome to the very belated part two of the Carousel of Dick Joe's Oscar special podcast. I'm your host, Chris Rademile, and once again, I will be joined by Cracked writers Dave Bell and Kathy Benjamin to discuss what we feel are the most egregious Oscar snubs in history, and also to hear Dave make an eerily accurate prediction about this year's winner for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, We also have a correction for this episode. Uh, During our discussion for 12 Angry Men, we mistakenly say that the defendant in the movie is African-American. In the movie, in the 1957 version of the movie, the ethnicity of the character is never clearly defined, uh, but he was played by an Italian actor, and though through the uh, various incarnations of the story of uh, 12 Angry Men, there's usually an undercurrent of bigotry among the jurors with regards to the defendant. And uh, so with that, off we go. Okay, so we are going to do the Oscar snubs now. Famous Oscar snubs from the past. Woo! Does everybody have one? I, ha- I have a best picture one at least. We've, we've kind of gone over some of the actor and actresses ones. I think a couple, I'm just going to call them interesting Oscar snubs because they're not necessarily snubs. It's like a neck and neck type of situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Both involve David Lean films, which I'm not sure what that says. In the 1958 30th Academy Awards, Bridge Over the River Kwai won, which was a terrific film that I think now most people haven't seen. It won over 12 Angry Men. Which, wow. Yeah, and that's... A very interesting dynamic because we have Bridge Over the River Kwai, which is like an epic. They blew up a real bridge. They put a lot of money into it. It's elaborate versus 12 Angry Men, which manages to keep your attention with just 12 dudes in a room. And one is just extremely elaborate. One is extremely simple, but they both achieve the same level of interest, at least for me, watching them. And so it's really a question of what is more impressive about those two films. But apparently they thought Bridge Over the River Kwai. The second one is the 1963 Academy Awards. Again, another David Lean, Lawrence of Arabia one, um, which makes sense, except for it won over To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. Oh, man. That's is, another again, tough one. Very tough, yeah. And that both times they went with the epics. They went with the Over big the courtroom grand, drama. Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't know what that says about <laughs> it, but I think that's extremely interesting. Well, I mean, I guess it makes sense. I mean, when you look at Best Picture, obviously the more complicated thing is, you know, everything else being equal. The script being equal, the story being equal, the acting being equal. If it's a more complicated movie to make, that makes it more impressive on a technical level on every you know so you end up saying oh big movie over small movie you know there's another dynamic too is both of these both of the ones that didn't win were about racial tension someone Mm -hmm. just pointed that out to me that they're both about and i mean it's during a time you know the 50s and 60s when that was a big issue it's also possible that people just didn't want to think about that Mm -hmm. well and actually that leads into one of the things i wanted to talk about crash over brokeback mountain in 2005 Mm -hmm. Crash now was about, you know, there was racism and things like that because we can deal with racism now. And it won over something that had to do with, oh my gosh, gay people, which in Mm -hmm. 2005, you know, oh my gosh, nine years ago. (laughs) But it was like, you know, we weren't necessarily ready to deal with that yet. So I think you're, I think there's something there. It's not necessarily like race, you know, always, but whatever the, whatever we dealt with. 10 years before, they can handle. I'm okay with the Brokeback Mountain one because I didn't really like Brokeback Mountain that much. Oh my gosh. 
because it felt like that you know they made a big deal about how the steps it took towards I guess uh, normalizing gay people. I don't know what the best way. To, what's the best way to phrase that? It put a it put a gay relationship in 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 you know center. Yeah. You know people it, who wouldn't have seen a gay relationship in real life perhaps. Yeah, it, it made a gay relationship in a movie a, a mainstream thing. But when I watched it, really, if you if you turn that into a heterosexual relationship, you really wouldn't have lost much in the movie. The tension was just about like there there wasn't anything specific to a gay couple other than the fact that they were gay. Whereas I think it's uh, The Kids Are Alright, which was released around the same time, actually dealt with issues that would be specific to a gay couple versus just a normal couple. I never saw Kids Are Alright. Are alright. Did that get... It, it was one with Julianne Moore and uh, Annette Bening. Yeah, they got, nominated, they got nominated for roles. It got nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, I'm okay. pretty sure. I don't know. I, my, my thing on um, Brokeback Mountain is out of the stings... Oh, yeah. We definitely have to look at that year because there's a lot of interesting things that were up for Best Picture that year. What, 2005? Is it 2005? I have 2005, but I don't know if that's the year it came out or the year of the awards. It's always the year after it came out is the yeah. awards. Um, oh, I guess it was later. Because The Kids Were All Right was 2010, so maybe that's why it was, I guess, more specific to a gay couple versus Broke background. That's how I felt anyway. Like, as I was watching it, I just felt like you could replace one of these characters with a woman and make it a heterosexual relationship and you would still have the... But you have to you have to remember, there is 30 seconds. In fact, I think it's less than 30 seconds of a completely closed gay sex scene in that movie. And it... I mean, that at the, I remember at the time, that was, there were articles, there were protests... There were, I mean, I know it's just, it's only nine years ago. It seems like so recently or whatever, but I think it's something like 24 seconds of a gay sex scene, fully clothed, everyone went apeshit, you know? And now, mm-hmm. now there's that blue is the warmest color or whatever has like an eight minute sex scene. Mm, but that's lesbians and lesbians are different. Yeah. Straight, straight men that. are fine with watching <laughs> lesbians. Just to derail for a second, I haven't seen that movie, but what, what do you need eight minutes or nine minutes for? Like <laughs> what happens in like in the plot of that movie, what required eight minutes of time? Is like, that how something... long they have sex? Did is they? It, is yeah, it like did one they, continuous like... scene, like one yeah, shot. Like, <laughs> you see a sex scene, it's you only need like thirty seconds to be like, oh, okay, and they had sex. So like, did they disarm <laughs> a bomb? Like, what happened in that eight minutes? I'd need to see that film for that reason, where it's just like, is there something? Is there a plot point in because during the sex scene? It's eight minutes of French lesbian sex that you can watch without your wife getting mad at you. So yeah, and that's what they should have called the film. <laughs> <laughs> best Picture Crash, real quick. I just looked them up. You know what else was nominated that year for Best Picture? What? The Crash, Party. Brokeback Mountain, Capote, Good Night and Good Luck in Munich. And I, that is. I hated Munich and Good Night and Good Luck, so screw it. Oh, them. really? I yes. love Good Night and Good Luck. It was boring as hell, but. So I hate I like it. boring. I love. George Clooney should have won Best Director for that, I think. Capote, though, amazing. Yeah, I only saw that once. I need to see that again. I mean, that one, Philip Seymour Hoffman obviously won for Best Actor, which was good. May he rest in peace. Yes. That was, yeah. I, I mean, he deserved that so much. Yeah. But Crash, it's out of all those, Crash seems like the most random one they could have picked. Like, I didn't hate Crash when I saw it, but then Best Picture, making it Best Picture, sort of, like, put it on the chopping block in a way where it's like, what the hell? Like The thing with the Academy is they like voting for Best Pictures that make them feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. 
which is why things like Argo, which was absolutely not the best picture of the year it came out, win. Why Hugo won. Why The Artist won. These are movies that make Hollywood look good. Did Hugo win? Didn't it? No, The Artist won. So. Oh, it was the same year. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Hugo, Hugo nominated Artist won. It's like there, any movie that says Hollywood did a good thing will win. <laughs> and any movie that makes Hollywood feel like by voting for it, they did a good thing. And I'm, I'm not going to say that might be why 12 Years a Slave is going to win, but it might be. Um, that's what they're going to go for. And that, that was the same thing with Crash. It was, it was a movie where they went, look, we are tackling racism and classism and all of these things. And look how brave Hollywood is for, for taking on these subjects while ignoring a movie that's about a gay couple because they couldn't really handle that yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 12 Angry Men is an interesting one to me because I would have picked that over Bridge Over the River Kwai just because of the interesting way it tells the story. I, I tend to gravitate towards movies that have like not necessarily a, any sort of technical achievement or uh, or even necessarily the story itself, like the most compelling story, but one that just tells a good story in an interesting way. And 12 Anger Men, I like that just because it all takes place in one room over the course of, you know, hour and a half, two hours. And that was just, that's like a unique way to tell the story to me. I would agree with that. Also, there I don't think they won any acting, anything for best actor. And it's extremely interesting because you start with 11 people who've had their minds made up one way and one person. And it's it's an actor's movie. You know, it's like Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross or anything like that, where it, like it's, it's, it's something that for actors to just go nuts with. Yeah. Or like Carnage that came out recently. And yeah, I, I definitely think that's a superior movie just because going by just the art of filmmaking, you know, it's just pure performance. That's all it is. And there's something amazing about that. I think there's different ways you could look at it probably, though. Were there any other big names in 12 Anger Men other than uh, Henry Fonda? Probably, but I don't I can't think <laughs> of them. Um, I'll look it up. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the actual list. Now. The only one I recognize is uh, Henry Fonda. The remake had um, oh, James Ed Begley. He's in there. There was a remake? Yeah, in 97, it had Tony Danza, James Gandolfini. Um, it, for what it was, it was good, but considering that there was a way better version that existed, it sort of... Yeah, I kind of thought that 12 Anger Men was sort of like, you know, like Gone with the Wind. We've already got a good one where no one's ever going to make another movie or another version of it. I think people just love doing it. I'm not, I'm assuming it was a play. It, well, I know it is a play now, for sure. Yeah, and I think it should be treated the way plays are. Like, I, I wouldn't mind seeing 20 12 Angry Men's. Why not? <laughs> Just to see, wouldn't you like to see different generations doing that? For 144 like, Angry Men. Yeah. Oh, no, like, <laughs> wouldn't it be cool to see one done with the actors of today? Like yeah. a 12 Angry Men. Like, they should just it do that be, every yeah. 10 years. It's like an all-star game of actors. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that would be kind of cool. And the other thing about it is it's sort of like, um, there's that whole thing, the only catch is that it was, you know, in the original, it was that he was, there's the obviously the racist guy, because the, you know, the kid in it who's accused is black, and so there's that. And then I think in the remake, they did it that he was, like, Hispanic, and, like, they updated the racism. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's the thing we sort of have to... Like, if they did every 10 years, there's always the racist guy. And so... The next one will be someone that's gay. It'll be the homophobic guy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They could do that, yeah. That kind of, like, that sort of interesting storytelling, that's what always makes me want a movie to win uh, Best Picture. And that's why I really, really think that in 2008, 
Wally should have won Best Picture. Mm. Um, it wasn't even nom- it, it won Best uh, Animated Feature, but the the nominees for Best Picture were uh, Slumdog, which won, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Frost, Nixon, uh, mm. Milk, and The Reader. That's tough. But like even that, like I love Slumdog Millionaire. That was a great movie. But like every time I watch Wally, and I've watched it so many times, I'm just amazed at how well it manages to tell a story without any dialogue at all. Out of those movies, Wally is kind of the, the best one. I think Best Animated and Best Foreign Film have the similar thing where it's their way of being like, yeah, we'll never put these films in Best Picture, so we'll give them this. You know, like they don't nominate foreign films very often for Best Picture, nor do they nominate animations because they have that category to kind of keep it in there. Well, they only started the animation category. I mean, Beauty and the Beast won uh, Best Picture. But there was, yeah, oh yeah, it won Best Picture. But there was no... um, No, Silence of the Lambs won. Beauty and the Beast oh. was nominated. Oh, fine. Anyway, yeah. it was nominated, but there was no animated picture at that point. There was no category. I thought they only started the anim- animated one like when Pixar just kept putting out awesome movies that, they, like Dave said, wouldn't win uh, Best Picture but deserve to win something. And I thought that's when they started it. Did Beauty and the Beast really not win? I've been walking around saying the wrong thing my whole life. Yeah, uh, so, I, know I was so sure. Yeah, 1991, Silence of the Lambs won, and Beauty oh. and the Beast was nominated. Well, Beauty and the Beast was a freaking good movie, so whatever. Good. I guess Silence of the Lambs is better. Fine. It's a weird one to win Silence of the Lambs. Like, it definitely is a great film, but horror or anything, like, related to horror movies don't really get uh, nominated. They're like comedies and musicals. So pretty much anything but straight dramas. Pretty much. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, what sh- about, speaking of speaking of comedies, this is my, my, I have it in all caps, Shakespeare in Love over everything. <laughs> Shakespeare in Love in, what year was this? The 71st 98. Academy Awards, 98, beat Elizabeth, Life is Beautiful, Saving Private Ryan, and The Thin Red Line. Wow. Yeah. What? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even have a- <laughs> yeah, no one really seems to have an answer what for that one. What happened in 98, like in the world? What were we going through? I don't know. I mean, we gave Gwyneth Paltrow Best Actress, Roberto Benigni, Life is Beautiful, over Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan and Edward Norton in American History X. And then we gave director to Steven Spielberg. So it was a very weird year. It's very complicated. I think they wanted, because like, I love Life is Beautiful, but I would never give Best Actor to that. Mm-hmm. Um, did that win like Best Foreign Film or anything like that? It was just up for Best... Um... Uh, best Foreign Film, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So it won something. That's good. That was a weird year. Um, especially considering, that's... like, looking back now, it, especially Saving Private Ryan, like, the cultural impact that's had, like, we're still seeing that. Like, just that sort of World War II renaissance that we went through after Saving Private Ryan and, like, the gritty war movie instead of the instead of what we'd seen previously. I don't know what, I don't want to say, like, campy, but it wasn't, it didn't have the same level of realism that we expect out of war movies now. I think it was probably more, it was meant to just look heroic rather than dead bodies and... Right limbs and thing it wasn't supposed to be real it was supposed to be like oh good guys winning right and not and not showing the gray areas of war as much right that's yeah, definitely a concept that's gotten more and more popular i mean think about that with villains like you know there used to be a time where villains were so two-dimensional right and it's gotten to the point where like a good one this year was um captain phillips like you don't see the pirates as bad people necessarily because it shows kind of what the life they have to deal with that brought them there so they didn't just you know like if that movie was made in the 80s like that would probably have been ridiculously racist and (laughs) 
this Aww. like the bad guys would have been just hilariously like just mean and like yeah it's the, we're definitely better at least, i think at portraying both sides of the situation or like with war portraying it as less of a heroic situation as it is just people having to do this thing that's just completely bizarre mm-hmm and I think at least, at the very least, if you're not showing them as being a, uh, you know, a pos- even like having any positive traits, at least just portraying them as better villains. Because mm-hmm. I don't know if I don't know if it's fair to say that Saving Private Ryan kind of kicked off the gritty movie to begin with, like the gritty movie genre that kind of spilled over into superhero movies. But Heath Ledger uh, playing the Joker, which was just a more three-dimensional character, even though he's evil in all dimensions, it's just a more interesting character than we would have previously seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't even. I couldn't even pretend to go into the origins of grittiness. Like, <laughs> that's such a weird fad that we're doing now. But yeah, that's like. I feel like every genre might have that sort of moment where they have to bring it down to realism. We definitely go in and out of liking realism, mm-hmm. like that musical thing I told you guys about. Like that sort of. We there's very few musicals win right, and when right. they they won like let's see West Side Story, um, My Fair Lady, Sound of Music, Oliver, all happened basically in the span. And there's only like five five musicals. The other two like happened like in the twenties. These Chicago all... Chicago won best well, musical. I'll, I'll get to that because oh, these okay. happened between 61 and 68 essentially the vietnam war Mm. we had this huge influx in musicals um except for a couple things and um when kennedy was shot that was a movie called tom jones a comedy which is also extremely rare and sound of music was during the civil rights movement and oliver was again like there was the i guess i was just told there was like um a dnc demonstration where people got beat up like it's during this really heavy time and then we never had a musical again until we declared war in Iraq and 9-11 happened and all that in Afghanistan. And that was the year Chicago won. 2002? Yeah. 2000, I think it was 2003, actually. Was it? I, I'm just was remembering. I could be wrong. <laughs> I was just looking at it. 2002 was A Beautiful Mind, which was right after 9-11. Um, and that that's kind of weird. But then, like, basically, we went... Chicago was the first one to win as we were going in. Chicago was the year that Michael Moore gave that big speech. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Against the war. So it was very... It was, again, when our country was going through just some... Going through war, essentially, and debating it. But it's that sort of thing where we had this period in, you know, from 60 where there was not just vietnam but the um civil rights movement movement and like we just didn't like reality was real enough for us so that's we sort of turned to because even the the only exception is um 1963 lawrence of arabia um won that year Mm -hmm. um that's like the only non-musical that won in that span because it was west side story lawrence of arabia um and then again this movie called tom jones which came out after kennedy was shot which is a comedy. And that was the same year Cleopatra and Lilies of the Field was nominated. Was it? Cleopatra got nominated? Oh, that was... Was that um, like one of those giant disasters? It was the the most expensive movie of all time at that point. Like, I don't think it was adjusted for inflation. It was the Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton one. It was just a... I mean, it is... I was thinking that was like one of those epics. That was 1963. 1963. Oh, it is. Like, if you watch it, it's like... Like, I've seen... It's on Netflix. Like, if you watch it, it's like three hours long you know it's visually stunning even today you're just like wow mm-hmm. she has like a hundred and something costume changes it's pretty amazing but you know it was a clusterfuck i was surprised it got nominated 
And then when we were deep in Vietnam, that was My Fair Lady. Like, we really, like, that's kind of like, can you imagine during that time, like, there's probably so many other good movies, and just watching the Academy Awards, just like every year, another musical? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's down to escape, you know? I mean, it's people escape in different ways. And I think there's probably, you could probably write a thesis on the fact that, you know, we we went and got into wars and all of a sudden we decided we wanted all our hero movies to be really gritty, mm-hmm. probably just because we were seeing more about the front line of war and the effects of war than we ever were before. So maybe back then they wanted some kind of escape because they knew people who were being sent off. And maybe now we want something gritty that makes it all seem kind of fake to us. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It definitely coincides. By the way, we've talked about, oh, we're getting to that, 1994. Let's get to 1994. Well, uh, Dave, you want to do 1979, right, with Apocalypse Now? Yes, yes. So for biggest snubs, yeah, it was the 1980s Academy Awards um, for movies out 1979. Um, Best Picture was Kramer versus Kramer. Which pretty much swept. I believe it also got, I think, Best Actor. Um, Meryl Streep that, won. Yeah, and that was the year Apocalypse Now also came out, which got Best Cinematography and no other nominations. Really? And I think that well, it got Best Picture the... nomination. Oh, it got nominated for Best Picture. Okay, and I just think it's a little ridiculous because Kramer versus Kramer. I mean, who remembers that movie? Like. <laughs> I me? do. <laughs> I had to... Me, yeah. Well, yeah I put it into an article, so. Who remembers it's... it over Apocalypse Now, then? Because Apocalypse Now is, I mean, it's Apocalypse Now. Like, yeah. it's in sort of a weird, I don't know, level of its own. Like, maybe, and that's maybe why it didn't win is because it was so dark and so bizarre that people just couldn't look at that and, like, I don't know, handle it. Like, that's it's sort of like how... I mean, I, I'll, you can go into the 1994 stuff. Well, I was just going to say about Apocalypse Now is Apocalypse Now is another one of those movies that has a story behind it. And I think that we forget nowadays how much, you know, what's being reported in the press affects how you feel about something. And so, I mean, people at the time, Marlon Brando at the time was going nuts. You know, I think he'd, I think he'd already sent up or no. Martin was, he a, was he a ba- or, uh, no, 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 I'm sorry, you're right. Martin right. Yeah. Um, I think he'd already sent, or he was about to send up a Native American to his, accept his Academy Award. And I mean, he'd gotten fat and he'd gotten reclusive. And it was, um, it was a production nightmare as well. It was a production nightmare. Martin Sheen had a, um, had a heart, heart attack. attack. Michael, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, he went a little crazy on set people, too. Yeah, he, yeah. these are all things people knew at the time, and it wasn't as, like, this vague, oh, isn't that an interesting backstory? It's like, what the hell happened on this production, <laughs> you know? And so, and it's, like, an immediate thing. It's, a th- it's gossip. It's news. It's things that are happening right then. And I think we forget that those things affect how people feel about movies. We just look at it as a classic that has some funny trivia. To them, it was this thing that happened last week. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's true. It's just weird because they had also, they did the, um, yeah, I guess so. Cause it's one of those things you have to sort of stand back at it. Look at, cause I'm looking at Kramer versus Kramer. also won best director, best actor. And I mean, like, and Kramer versus Kramer is a very, very good movie. I apparently have to watch Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it dealt with a sort of a social issue. Um, do, do you yeah, know the plot course. of it? Yeah. Like the, the main plot of it is that, uh, this, this, uh, married couple, the wife leaves and the, father basically has to take care of the child or take care of his son and it sort of 
the struggles that he goes through with that and he ends up losing his job because of it because he keeps having to leave to take care of his son and then the um, wife played by Meryl Streep comes back and they get into a custody battle it sort of went against the normal social standard that in custody the child always goes to the mother and it's kind of dealing with that sort of issue yeah do men get screwed over in custody battles and divorce obviously wasn't as common then it is it is now and Mm -hmm. you know so it's more topical yeah and i was wondering if maybe apocalypse now just it was just too dark because i mean it definitely portrays americans in a very negative view in in the context of vietnam Mm -hmm. and shows what that does to people but the the previous year uh deer hunter one I don't know if it, sh- if it really, you can say it shows Americans in a negative view, but it definitely shows how messed up it could make someone. Also with Apocalypse Now, have either of you ever seen the original cut? The five-hour one? No. No, uh, no I mean the, the one they showed in theaters. Oh, oh, oh. I only saw the one I they showed on Netflix. I've only seen the director's cut, so I don't know. Maybe the one in theaters isn't as good. That's true. It could be a mess. There's yeah. a um, five-hour work print you can find that's literally just the movie, just with just everything, and wow. it's exhausting to watch. <laughs> I think they just lay the doors over it, and it's just like I've seen pieces of it, and that's a that's a good marathon one if you want to <laughs> check that out. I also wonder if it, if it was that thing where they're trying to give somebody else a uh, a chance to win an Oscar because that was a Francis Ford Coppola movie and he'd already mm-hmm. won for um mm-hmm. the godfather godfather part two and did he did he do uh deer hunter i don't know no that was michael cimino cimino oh, cimino okay. but i mean and he'd been nominated for other other awards in that that same uh same decade that's for true best picture it, especially that does kind of put it into perspective because it's sort of an underdog situation then with kramer versus kramer yeah, see, it's all context, and then you have to, again, campaigning. People campaigned back then. Maybe, you know, no one ever talks about who did good Oscar campaigns, you know, five years ago. Yeah, and I, I think Francis Ford Coppola was kind of like the Steven Spielberg of that decade where he was just get, doing awesome films all over the place. And they, at some point, they had to be like, okay, done. That's enough. <laughs> You've gotten your Oscars. <laughs> Go make Godfather 3 now, okay? Thanks. And Jack. Yeah. Oh, God, he did Jack. (laughs) Why? (laughs) So I kind of want to lead this into the 1994. Right. um, Because you can can talk about that, but I have a few. So 1994 was uh, the the best picture that year was Forrest Gump. And the other uh, nominees were Four Weddings and a Funeral, uh, Quiz Show, Pulp Fiction, and the one that I think should have won, The Shawshank Redemption. And Forrest Gump was just kind of that nostalgia porn. I can definitely see why it won and why it was so popular. And I, and I like the movie. I think it's really good. And Tom Hanks is excellent in it. But it just doesn't have the same impact as Shawshank Redemption. Like, everything about the Shawshank Redemption is just flawless to me. It's, it's a great story. All the, it was really well cast, especially uh, Morgan Freeman. I don't, I don't know if that's really his breakout role, but I think it definitely helped propel him to uh, like super superstar level. Magic Negro status. Yeah. 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 I've been trying to... Way to make me racist, Kathy, for like Shawshank Redemption. That's what it's called. That is the technical phrase. Magic Negro. It is, yeah. It's what they use in Hollywood. (laughs) But, uh, okay, I I just like Shawshank Redemption. I'm not racist. I mean... (laughs) I have black friends. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised Pulp Fiction got nominated. I mean, obviously, it's a fantastic movie. I just didn't think it was appreciated at its time. Like, I figured that was more like an Apocalypse Now situation. 
but apparently not. So that's kind of cool. I was thinking about what happened in 94. I was just talking with a friend about this because it was, the, I think, the Bosnian War. Um, there was um, the Rwandan massacres or whatever. Like, there was the O.J. Simpson. I've been trying to, like, relate best pictures with, like, what was going on during the time. And I was thinking Tom, like, like um, Forrest Gump would be more feel-good because we were just sort of needed a break. But when I think about it, Shawshank Redemption is equally as a feel-good movie. So there's really I, I have no idea. I think it's it's feel good only at the you know the last ten minutes of it, whereas Forrest Gump's pretty much feel good through almost the entire thing. Like you you like Forrest the entire time. It's true. Like you said, it's nostalgia porn. Like yeah, it's for a very specific generation. And you like uh, you like Red the entire time too. Morgan Freeman's character, you like him the entire time, and he's we'll call him the main character, even though the story is more about uh, Tim Robbins' character, Andy Dufresne. Mm-hmm. But you really don't start sympathizing with Andy until a good bit into the movie. And then you really don't realize he's innocent until close to the end. And that's really when you want him to to escape and get his freedom. Well, again, I think I think in context it makes more sense. When you were talking about Pulp Fiction and like being surprised it was nominated, Pulp Fiction was a breakout hit. I mean, like huge. Like it did incredibly well. Shawshank Redemption bombed. And so you have to look at it. I mean, when was the last time we gave a Best Picture Oscar to a movie that was wide released and did terrible? I mean, they give it to little movies all the time, if you know what I mean, like The Artist. Mm -hmm. You know, not a lot of people saw that, but that's because it wasn't, you know, meant to be a blockbuster. But Shawshank Redemption is based on a Stephen King novella. You know, it had people who were relatively famous in it at the time. And it did not do well at all. And so it's like, I wouldn't expect them to give the Oscar to that movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's weird. Forrest Gump is one of the rare occasions when we had a comedy. It's technically a comedy, right? It's more like it's comedy. It's like a dramedy, even though I hate that word. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> yeah I cried during it, definitely. There was, and there I'm were wondering tears. if we were just shying away from anything that was conventional or more conventional because like the 90s were a big part of the indie director um you know like it was a big boost of indie films and stuff like that and so maybe Shawshank was just too by the book maybe like it was too much of a just a regular feel-good movie that it just maybe for its time it just seemed boring which is weird to say no it could be it's a fantastic movie I'm just looking up other things that won that year and it's a weird combination. Like what were the best... what were the other two nominees? Beyond uh, Quiz Show and Four Weddings and a Funeral. Oh, Pulp well, Four Fiction. Weddings is a comedy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And Quiz Show is uh, more of like a historical documentary, I guess. Not not documentary, but like a historical movie about the Quiz Quiz Show scandals in the fifties, I think. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a good movie too. I would have never nominated for Best Picture, but it was a good movie. I actually wonder, like, if Forrest Gump is sort of like if if that was the the decade of the indie director, that's sort of odd that Forrest. Gump one because that was Robert Zemeckis who's a pretty well-known director at that point I don't know if he'd won an Oscar or anything yeah, before they definitely, that they definitely seemed like Four Wings and a Funeral that was more of an indie film wasn't it and actually Shawshank Redemption like it wasn't really an indie film but the director of it was uh, Frank Darabont who I guess up to that point had only done like B horror movies like Nightmare on Elm Street 3 The Blob and The Fly 2 and then mm-hmm. the Shawshank Redemption that is strange <laughs> But it's like Forrest Gump, I mean, I haven't seen it in my, my God, probably at least a decade. But if I were to ever teach a class on how to win an Oscar, I would just show people Forrest Gump. 
<laughs> I mean, it ticks, it ticks like every cliche Oscar box, you know, you have the, the, the whitewashed history, you have uh, some, a man playing a character with a disability without going quote, full retard. <laughs> you have a woman who is sexually not acceptable, who gets saved by the man you have the mother dying, you have, you know, wealth and, oh, you know, it's just you everything, mm -hmm. absolutely everything. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that it won because how could it not really, true. you know? And I think a lot of that that has to do with Tom Hanks' performance because he is just incredible in it. Oh, he is. He, did. he won for Best sure. Actor for that. Yeah. yeah. He was against Morgan Freeman um, and Paul Newman. And, Tron, and uh, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. That's a hell of a lineup. Well, that was just that was when Tom Cruise could do no wrong because he won for what Tom Philadelphia? Or Tom, yeah, so Tom Cruise can do lots wrong. Never mind. <laughs> Tom, Tom, yeah, because he won for didn't he win for Philadelphia and then he won for Forrest Gump and then he got nominated for Apollo thirteen and it was just like yeah the decade of Tom Hanks. I don't. I want to say this is a pattern, but I haven't looked it up because I just looked this up. Pulp Fiction won Best Original Screenplay. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's, because there's always, if you notice in the best pictures, there's always the, like this year, it's like her. It's, there's always the weird movie, the movie that like everybody likes, but it's like too weird to win. Mm -hmm. But that, I feel like that always gets original screenplay. And again, I haven't actually looked at this as a pattern. Midnight in Paris. Or that is that was, what it, was that what it was called? The Woody Allen film from a couple years ago. I think he won Best Screenplay for that, and it got nominated for Best Picture, I think. But Woody's a darling of the Academy anyway, so... Yeah, he's got enough Oscars. <laughs> he He's the one that... He's why Star Wars didn't win Best Picture. Is he really? I don't know if that's why, but it was nominated... Is it Annie Hall? Yeah, Annie Hall was the same year as Star Wars. Yeah, all right. So, Midnight in Paris won, Django Unchained won, um, Milk Juno, Little Miss Sunshine, Eternal oh, Sunshine. Oh, Juno, yeah, that was yeah. all... Yeah. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, mm -hmm. Lost in Translation, mm -hmm. um, and no, you're totally yeah. right. Quirky, Fargo, The Usual Suspects, Pulp Fiction, Quirky, <laughs> yeah, Crying Game, and I'm just going way back now. <laughs> I've seen Ghost, Rain Man. But Did Rain Ghost Man get won. nominated for Best Picture? It won Best Screenplay. Oh, okay. Best Original Screenplay. But I think that's sort of the, it's the, like, look, we know everybody loves your film, but we're not going to give it to you. Here's best screenplay. Yeah. Like, I feel like that happens. Still something you can put on your shelf. I'm going to take, I'm going to take a more positive spin on that and say that a really good screenplay can make a very good film, but it's not enough. Yeah. And I think yeah, that, that's... that's why they have the best picture is so that you can, you take into account everything. Yeah. Oh, wow. I did not realize this. Citizen Kane won Best Screenplay. I probably should have known that. And that was that's one on, of the biggest That's snubs. on my list. Yes, well, How Green Is My Valley. <laughs> so go ahead. You can talk about that one, Kathy. I, I, I knew that, that, I knew that uh, Citizen Kane didn't win Best Picture, but I didn't know what would beat it out. I just know that I'd never heard of it. That's all I got. I've never seen How Green Is My Valley. I've never seen Citizen Kane. Citizen <laughs> Kane is good. How green? Yeah, how green was my valley? I don't. I don't think I know anybody who's seen that movie. Isn't it about Irish people? Something about potatoes. <laughs> I, I honestly, I have no idea. Something about potatoes. Irish racism. <laughs> all I know, all I know is that that's They're like Welsh. a Jeopardy. That's like a Jeopardy trivia question. You have to know what beat Citizen Kane. You always have to know that, and that's <laughs> the extent of my knowledge. And that's another one where um, people. It's an interesting, like. 
it's another one where you have to know the context of the time because it didn't get bad reviews. Everybody always says Citizen Kane got terrible reviews. It wasn't that it got bad reviews or that it wasn't well received. At least from what I've read, it's more this that there was the politics of it. Yeah, it was because it yeah. was like a thinly veiled biopic Which about uh, William Hurst. Randolph Hearst. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's that sort of thing where if you look back and it, yeah, it does look like everybody hated it, but I don't think people actually hated it so much as just that's how it was portrayed. It'd be like if they made a thinly veiled thing about Murdoch and, you know, Fox would be like, oh, this movie is terrible and or they wouldn't talk about it at all. And I mean, he owns everything. If they didn't review it anywhere, if they didn't talk yeah. about it. I actually wonder about like, that now because I, I don't think as, as powerful as Mur as much media as Murdoch owns, I don't think he has the same power that William Randolph Hearst had at the time. Probably not. Yeah. Because newspaper was the almost the like the sole outlet of media at that time and he owned all the big newspapers versus now where as much as Murdoch owns you still have the internet, you still have the other news channels. That's true. And I feel like we're more aware of it now. Cuz I think there there was a movie recently that had like a like a stupid character that was like uh it was basically uh Rupert Murdoch but I can't remember what movie it was, but they were making fun of him in it. It was a parody of him. The new Sherlock, the last episode, um, has a Charles Magnuson is supposed to be kind of like Murdoch. You guys want to just talk about Sherlock for the rest of this? <laughs> oh my god! I just I started just, watching that. I was oh, okay. Just I don't want to say thinking, anything. I'm like, how much of this is it gonna have to be? I'm like, I'm having a great time. I'll sit here and talk to you guys for the next three hours. <laughs> this is fabulous. But like, how much of this are you gonna have to edit? I was actually thinking it's probably getting close time to at least end this end of the episode. Uh, Dave, would you anything you want to plug? Um, just keep reading Cracked. And I'll show up. Um, if they want to find uh, you on Twitter. Um, no, don't find me on Twitter. <laughs> Film School Rejects. Film School Rejects. Definitely take a look. I've stopped writing for them this year. Oh, okay. But, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, I, ju I, I, I opted to do it. I was just, there's not enough hours in the day. Yeah. Uh, to do it. But yeah, if anybody wants to check me out on Twitter, I guess it's, what is, what am I? Move, movie movie hooligan? hooligan? Yeah, that would be it. Yeah, definitely. Come uh, go on Twitter and tell me why I am wrong about the things I was wrong about today. That'll be fun. <laughs> and Kathy? Um, I'm a columnist now. Woohoo! And I wrote a book called For What Else Website? To Die For. Oh, for Cracked, obviously. Cracked.com, <laughs> yes. And uh, I also write for Mental Floss, and I wrote a book called Funerals to Die For, and you can buy that on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or in bookstores. And if they want to find you, do you want to do your Twitter? Uh, at Kathy Benjamin, Kathy with K, and yeah, that's it. And if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at Raddy's Tuition, R-A-D-D-Y-S-T-U-I-T-I-O-N, and you can find more of my writing at raddystuition.com and on crack.com under Chris Rademile. All right, so thank you everyone for joining. Thank you. Thanks, bye. See you. Choking on an almond. <coughs> anyway.